Episode 3. Do you know someone who would be a great guest on the Telltale Fisherman? If so, go to tell.fish slash guest and recommend them for the show. We won't bug them. We'll just give them the chance to share the story of their lifetime and become a fishing legend. Visit tell.fish slash guest. Welcome to the Telltale Fisherman Podcast where avid anglers share the story of their best fishing day ever to inspire yours. Now it's time for another epic adventure. So here's your host, John Woodson. All right, welcome to today's show. Today we are fishing, excuse me, today we are talking with Roger Bowmans. Roger, welcome. Thank you, John. So Roger not only happens to be uh, one of my best fishing buddies, but he also happens to be my hunting buddy. Uh, our families have shared a hunting lease here the past couple of years, and I can say at least in my case, I've figured out that I'm a much better fisherman than a hunter, so uh, we're kind of sticking to the fishing for the time being. I don't know if that's your experience or not. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, we we had a little bit of a success. Uh, found a few turkeys here and there, but those... Uh, those crafty deer seem to elude us, so we're we're giving them a break. Maybe we'll get back to that at some point. All right. Well, Roger today is going to uh, tell us a offshore saltwater fishing story that I'll let him get to a little more in a moment. But uh, in the meantime, tell us a little bit about what you do during the week that uh, keeps you away from fishing. Well, in order to be able to pay for all the stuff that goes with being able to fish, I have to work uh, work for Siemens Energy. I uh, do marketing for uh, service business for our fossil power plants, and uh, so that pays the bills and you know allows for the boats and the fishing rods and the gas and everything else that is required. Yeah, and actually uh, another thing about Roger and I, as it turns out, uh, like my guest on my previous episode Greg Snyder that I spoke with who I share an offshore boat with Roger and I share a bay boat and uh, as it turns out Roger is here recording this with me right after he got done cleaning it up from a trip he's taken to the Everglades where he likes to fish tell us a little bit about these uh, wild excursions you like to do um, and in that style of fishing that that you enjoy so much well, you know, when you say Everglades, most people who have never been there, which unfortunately is a lot of people, I think picture the River of Grass Everglades, which is the majority of it. But where I go is the coastal part on the southwest coast of Florida around, uh, start from Flamingo to the very southern tip in Everglades National Park. And it's coastal fishing, similar to fishing on the east coast here in the lagoons and just offshore. But you're out in the Gulf of Mexico some, and then in all the rivers and bays. The big bays are Whitewater Bay, Oyster Bay, Ponce de Leon Bay, and some of the rivers are the Harney, uh, the Shark, and the Broad. So it's a, a mixed bag of typical coastal Florida fish, spotted sea trout, redfish, snook, tarpon, and then, of course, all the filler fish, ladyfish, jacks, and stuff that keep you entertained when the good stuff's not biting. Yeah, that sounds pretty pretty amazing i hope to experience something like that uh, one of these days but what's really cool about it is you pack in and pack out and actually go out there and camp out talk talk a little bit about how that works 
Yeah, we like to get out. I mean, it's it's the wilderness, so you're you're out, you're on your own. But they do have places to camp within Everglades National Park, and um, so we've started in the last few years go for three nights typically, and uh, go out there and camp, and you're self-contained, carrying everything on the boat uh, that you need. So it's uh, it's an adventure. You get out in nature, and uh, don't see too many other people, uh, which is nice and. Uh, it's peaceful and calm and beautiful out there. Tell us also a little bit about the other types of fishing that you like to do. You have an offshore boat as well and, and do some uh, pretty cool excursions with that too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, just, I enjoy pretty much any type of fishing, but uh, drawn more to saltwater fishing. I enjoy freshwater fishing, but uh, saltwater fishing is a little more interesting, exciting. I do have an offshore boat that I own with two other guys that uh we keep down in Stewart, Florida, and uh, we take that to the Bahamas, uh, typically once or twice a summer. Uh, we take it to the Keys once or twice a year, and uh, fish and dive and go lobstering and stuff off of that. So it's a lot of fun, especially over in the Bahamas, where uh, we go out to a place called Grand Cay, in the very northern tip of the Luther Islands, and uh, it's pretty remote and beautiful, and uh, great fishing, great beautiful water, reefs and everything. So that's that's pretty pretty cool amongst all that types of different fishing that you do. And the story you're going to tell us today is not from either one of those uh, Everglades or Bahamas trips. So I I can only uh I can only anticipate how good this one's going to be. It's from around here. And we'll get to that in just a second, but before we do, I'd like for Roger just to tell us a little bit about how you got your love for fishing. I mean, where did where did your passion come from? I mean, it, from growing up, or did you catch the bug later? Or, you know, how did you get your love for fishing? I was really with my father, fishing with my father. He took me as a, at a young age. I had uh, also relatives who had uh, houses on lakes. I grew up outside Atlanta, Georgia, and I had relatives who had places on some of the lakes, large lakes around there. We'd go fishing on Lake Lanier, uh, Lake Jackson, Lake Sinclair and uh, my grandfather had a house on the lake um, and so just through that you know grew a love of it um, so freshwater fish growing up did some fly fishing up in the mountain streams in north georgia north carolina and stuff and uh, when i finished college and moved to florida then got into the saltwater fishing really uh, i had done some saltwater fishing on like uh, you know charter boats and head boats and stuff with my dad I wouldn't be on vacation in Florida, but really started saltwater fishing when I moved to Florida about, what, oh, 28 years ago. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, Roger is going to tell us about his most epic offshore fishing day ever. Live bait is often the difference between an epic day and a slow day of fishing. On my last vacation, we were fishing for snook on the beach. The fish were there, but the bait was not. So... I ended up driving my boat a mile away to catch bait and then transported them back to the spot on the beach with a five-gallon bucket. However, in the hot Florida sun, that plan did not work out so well. But now, I have found a much better portable option for keeping bait alive on the boat and on shore. Visit tell.fish gear to check it out. That's tell.fish gear. Okay, we're back with Roger Bowmans, and Roger, let's launch right into your epic offshore adventure. So the occasion was, it was uh, early December, uh, there was a 
there's a conference called PowerGen uh, every year, and every other year at least it's in Orlando uh, at the convention center. So a lot of people from the power generation industry uh, attend that, and so associated with that week, uh, arranged a fishing trip with some of my uh, colleagues and then uh, one of our suppliers at the time uh, that we bought some materials from and uh, did a fishing excursion out of Port Canaveral. It was a beautiful December blue bird sky day, calm, you know, not not too hot, but not too cold either. So it was really ideal conditions for that time of year. So tell us a little bit about Port Canaveral. I mean, for me and you, of course, living here in the Orlando area, that's probably our closest access to the to the ocean. But describe that area to to the folks so that they can kind of understand it because it's different than your normal Florida tidal inlet. A lot of cruise ships go out of Port Canaveral. Uh, of course, a lot of uh, activity associated with the space, Kennedy Space Center coming in and out in the Air Force Base there. Uh, there's a sub base there that can be a little inconvenient when the subs are coming in and out. They uh, keep keep the boats away. Uh, so, But it's a commercial port for the most part, um, more than a lot of other Florida inlets, tidal inlets that are more based around recreational fishing and boating uh, more than being commercial ports. And so you, you went on on a charter boat this day. Tell us a little bit about the boat and the setup and, and what you guys were heading out to do that day. Yeah, so we had a charter set up with uh, Ocean Obsessions Charter Boats. They have a, a couple of boats at Port Canaveral. And then we were with Captain Brent, and uh, there were five of us on the trip that day. And uh, like I said it was a calm, beautiful day. Uh, Captain Brent told us the game plan was we we're going to go out and find the uh, shrimper, the fleet of shrimpers who had been working overnight. They dragged their nets at night, and then they cull their catch during the day and kind of rest during the day because they're working all night. And so he had a uh, bought a newspaper and a bottle of whiskey to go trade the shrimpers for our bait, which turned out to be a 50-gallon barrel of bycatch from their shrimp nets. So we traded on the newspaper and the bottle of whiskey for a 50-pound barrel of you know, assorted fish and crabs and all the other stuff they uh, get while they're dragging their shrimp nets. So you catch up with the, with the shrimp boat and get this chum. How far out are you? I mean, are they in close to shore, you know, 20 miles out, 10 miles? Kind of talk about where you're, where you're fishing this day. Yeah, I think it was. They were about twenty miles offshore. Was how far we had to go. Which for I, I lived for a while in South Florida and fished out of Jupiter mostly. And and down there, uh, you're pretty close to the Gulf Stream. You only have to go a couple miles offshore. So a twenty mile run offshore is pretty uh, pretty long for me at that time. Uh, I was back in the days before I started running over to the Bahamas and stuff. So it was a long way, but we got out there, found the shrimpers, got our bycatch, and then. Uh, basically started looking for the the plan was to look for blackfin tuna they said as the shrimpers are culling their bycatch and throwing it overboard that starts attracting all kinds of fish to it and eventually the blackfin tuna is kind of the top of the food chain uh out there so we started drifting looking for those and uh at first we ran across huge schools of bonita uh which we started catching um but then we were really looking for the blackfin tuna. But just to give you an idea of how thick the fish were that day, once we found them, a, a buddy of mine who was uh, grew up in 
up, upstate New York. This was his first saltwater fishing trip. And uh, he went to the back of the boat where all these fish were thrashing and churning the water. And, and he was had just a shocked look on his face. And he backed up slowly from the transom of the boat, kind of in shock <laughs> at what was going on uh, down in the water right below us. So it was thick with fish. Matter of fact, it was so thick that what we started doing was putting a, and we used the chum for bait as well as use, you know, from the shrimpers, using it as chum and as bait. So put a piece of something on your hook, and we were actually trying to look for blackfin tuna beneath the bonita that were so thick. So we're actually sight fishing for blackfin tuna, which is extremely weird and unusual. But trying to get a bait in front of them. And um, it was working. We started catching some, but the fish overall were so thick that it was hard to land one. It was hard to get one to the boat because so many fish would just swim into your line. They'd wind up breaking the line from just ramming into it because there were so many fish out there. And did you find these fish near the boats? I mean, were you still within sight of the boats, or did you have to go off a little ways to, to where you were getting into them? We were still fairly close to the shrimp boats. They were, uh, we weren't on top of them, but they were definitely within sight, you know, within uh, probably a few hundred, maybe a thousand yards or so. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was an epic day. I mean, we just kept in that mode, and, and they had a little competition, of course, amongst the charter captains. It was one of those days where everybody who went out of the port that day had that, you know, just incredible day of fishing. And, uh, you know, Captain Brent's on the radio with his buddies out there, his other charter captains bragging, you know, about who's got the most fish and the biggest fish and all that, of course. But uh, one of the, actually the most interesting fish that we put on the boat that day was not the blackfin tuna, which we caught a lot of, uh, and, and nice ones too. They all ran about 30 to 35 pounds, which is a nice size blackfin. And uh, But we had, as they will do, at some point a cobia started swimming around the boat. Pretty good-sized cobia. And uh, as they will also tend to do, wouldn't eat anything we put in front of it. Couldn't get it to bite anything. So finally, one of the guys on the boat, he uh, had the idea. He just picked up a gaff and lowered it into the water and actually gaffed the cobia. Free gaffed it without hooking it. So, And the cobia can be a little excited if they're not worn out when you drag them on the boat. So he flipped that thing in the boat, and it was going nuts. <laughs> so we all backed away from it uh, until we could get it subdued. But that that was pretty cool, too. So we had a little one cobia, and about I think we wound up bringing about 30 or so blackfin tuna back to port. Wow. And so were the were the uh, bonita and other small fish there the whole day, or, or did you kind of get a break from them and really get to hammer the uh, the tunas one after the other? Oh, no, no. The, yeah, the the bonita were still there, and we actually probably caught four times as many bonita as, as the tuna. And so it was one of those days, actually, where the, the day didn't end because we ran out of time. It more ended because everybody was exhausted. I remember the last fish that I put on the boat, I probably fought for 20, 25 minutes because I was so tired, my arms were so sore that I just had to spend time just resting with the rod against the gunwale of the boat, you know, and I couldn't reel or pump the rod or anything. I was so tired. So by the time everybody was so worn out, it was time to head back in to port. That's a classy problem to have. So I guess even amongst the guides, that was an unusual day, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, it was an epic day. It wasn't just us. It was every boat that went out that day and, and when did that type of fishing came back with a huge haul and catch. And so when we got back, uh, the crowd started gathering because of all these beautiful uh, tuna that were there being cleaned and actually had people uh, offering to buy fish, uh, you know, for sashimi and sushi there, right there, and, and had people cutting it and eating it, you know, uh, as sashimi right there. So it was uh, it was just one of those days uh, where rare days <laughs> where the fishing was just epic for all across the board. So thinking back on that day, do you have a sense for what it takes to make an epic day of fishing like that? I mean, is it, you know, blind luck, right place, right time? Is it being prepared and ready, you know, over your fishing career? Do you have a sense for what it takes to for everything to come together and have an incredible day like that? I think it's everything. I mean, I think you get, you have to be prepared and, and you know, you have to have a, a game plan and clearly... You know, the the plan that day happened, just happened that I think the, the concentration of fish was there. Uh, that's a rare occurrence and, you know, lucky enough to hit it on that day. Now, you know, as, as uh, we talked about earlier, my, my, right now I have to spend a lot of time earning money to be able to do this kind of stuff. So hopefully one of these days I can uh, take less time doing that and more time actually fish when the conditions are, are perfect uh, for fishing rather than when I have the time to fish and whatever the conditions are what they are so I think that was a big part of it as well. Excellent well we really appreciate you sharing that story with us and uh, I look forward to getting out with you here in the future and hopefully us having a day like that sometime soon. Roger thanks for being on the show. Thanks John it was great. Hey guys, be sure to go to tell.fish to sign up for our email newsletter. You will get the inside scoop on new guests and contests before everyone else. We can't wait to welcome you aboard. This has been the Telltale Fisherman Podcast. Thanks for sharing another great tale with us. Be sure to check out the show notes page for more info on today's show and the gear we talked about. Keep those lines tight and we'll catch you next time right here on the Telltale Fisherman Podcast.